0: Lady with the name of Enchedwana. She was the highest priest Fly, and the on flying vehicles. Sargon, the first. Therefore, she was able to write, and she brought 80 Sumerian tablets, which our archaeologists today named the Holy Hymns of Encheduana. Finally, these old texts were translated by the Sumerologist Dr. Hermann Burger. He's a German Sumerologist. And this specialist, one of the few who is able to translate Sumerian cuneiforms, was absolutely fascinated by the writings of Enchenwana. She definitely writes about so-called dinghiers. And these dinghiers are flying machines, comparable to the Vimanas in ancient India. The dinghiers are flying chariots In the Ethiopian book, like comparable to the Ethiopian book, Kebra Negest, where King Solomon flies around the world. Or the spaceship of Ezekiel in the Bible. Forty years ago, the Sumerologists believed that the writings of Encheduana has to do with some sort of folklore of the gods. Or with the moon, or the sun, or the lightning, or the clouds. Dr. Burgaard in the meantime clearly and without any doubts translated the hymns of Encheduana as modern technology. She was in fact writing about real space stations in orbit, about (laughs) machines coming down from these stations. And here on Earth, these flying machines were called today space shuttle. Today we would call them a space shuttle. These flying machines were refueled with the mixture of different oils and carbide. It is similar, a similar composition of liquids and carbides as we find them in all Indian texts. And Jedwana also writes about the terrible noise which these flying machines made, comparable again to Ezekiel in the Bible. He also compares the noise with the thundering of a waterfall. Finally, Encheduana made clear that the humans were a sort of slaves of these gods, except the chosen ones. And these chosen ones were a group of humans which stand under the command of the highest. The king and the people all worked for the gods. In return, the gods helped the chosen ones against their enemies. Now, the fact is, Many old texts, especially in old India, <coughs> you can read in detail that thousands of years ago, you know, a huge testimony for the Jewish people, and it's fairly well known that in the early steps of gathering the Jews back to Israel,
1: evangelical Christians had a tremendous part. And yet, sometimes they tell me, I support this thing or or that thing, you know, different kinds of organizations. My challenge to these...
0: In detail. that thousands of years ago, gigantic spaceships revolved our planet. The ancient Indians didn't call these objects spaceships. They had no word for spaceships in technology. They called them cities in the firmament or cities on the firmament. One day, smaller vehicles flew down from these cities to the earth. The ancient Indians called these smaller vehicles the Vimanas. One of the humans, his name was Arjuna, was taken up to these cities in the firmament. He learned the language of the extraterrestrials and he was an eyewitness of a war in the so-called heaven. Three cities came together and two of them were destroyed. For the people on earth, it looked as if ten thousands of shooting stars had fallen down. Okay. Now, Arjuna was living up there for a few years. He even learned the language of these extraterrestrials. When he came back, he obviously described what he had been seeing. We made a computer animation out of the text of Arjuna roughly 5,000 years old. He really describes how he, how he flew up there in a smaller machine. He called the machine, as I said before, Vimanas. <coughs> he even gives the name of the pilot, who brings him up there. The pilot's name was <coughs> Matali. Arjuna describes when he came up to the sky city, he saw the stars for the first time, like brilliant objects before They were all believing that the stars are simply lights set into the sky by some gods. And then he described this uh, war in heaven. A war in heaven? He really describes that these extraterrestrials, they had fight against each other. Some of them wanted to have sex with humans. Others wanted to steal our raw material, gold, (coughs) diamonds, and so on. That was the reason for a war in heaven. Now when we see these things, normally we think, come on, this is all fantasy. They simply saw the lightning coming down from the sky, they heard the noise of the thundering, and they believed that this is a war in heaven. But the explanation is not correct, because there were discussions between the humans and these extraterrestrials. And there were information, scientific information. In one of these uh, old texts you can read, that the extraterrestrial says to the human, young man, look out of the window. Do you will see this little light out there? You humans call it moon. But the moon has no light by itself. The moon receives his light from the sun. <coughs> and then he explains the different moon phases. Why is the moon sometimes full and half and disappears, etc.?" <coughs> oh my god. I have It's so this is scientific information. Also, it is explained in the, in the ancient text that some of the extraterrestrials explain to our human, you see this bright shining light there? You humans, you call it sun. You see all these little lights out there? They are called stars. But the stars are suns like this one. And then he explains him our calendar that the earth is revolving around the sun in 365 days plus leak hours. Hours, not years, uh, not days. This is scientific information and that's why the explanation for a natural solution is simply mean the, the, the lightning, the thundering, the storm is not enough. There would be no explanation. Now, when I was a young man, grown up in Switzerland, they told me when you live correctly, when you kill uh, nobody, you tell no bad stories and so on, you are correct, Finally, when you die, you will go to heaven. Heaven is the place of absolute happiness. In heaven, you are surrounded by angels, angels. You are <coughs> near to God. Later I learned that in our Christian tradition, there was a war in heaven. You remember maybe one day an archangel with the name of Lucifer came to the throne of the almighty God with his disciples and said, we do not serve you anymore. Then the Almighty God called for the help of the Archangel Michael to true Lucifer out of heavens. If heaven would have been the place of absolute happiness, there would be no war, no opposition. You have no war, no opposition when you are happy. So you should change the word heaven into the word space. The same thing happened with figures like an angel. We always think angels, they were lovely persons, they were helpful to the humans. No. Many angels, they are called in the Bible, fallen angels, had sex with humans. Other killed humans, thousands of it. You can read it in the second book of of the Kings. Heavens, uh, angels were not angels as we think, spiritual beings, forget it. Change the word angel into extraterrestrial. Now I have changed only two words. I make heaven into space. I changed angels into extraterrestrials. Do this with 10 words, and you change the complete ancient text. It becomes a new meaning. So in the beginning, thousands and thousands of years ago, (coughs) our ancestors had contact with these extraterrestrials. They could not understand it. They called them the gods. There are no gods, as we all know. There's only one God. We believe in God, and I'm a deep believer in God but no gods in plural. They believed that these beings from outer space were gods and that was the misunderstanding in the beginning of all the religions. Then these extraterrestrials disappeared again. By the way, with the promise to return in the far future, that's another story which i talk about tomorrow. And the humans started to draw these gods. They started with cave paintings all around the world cave paintings worldwide. <laughs> Always these so-called gods have some halos, or helmets, or rays coming out of their heads. These are so-called Vandina figures in Australia. There are others in near Switzerland. Valcamonica, it's on the Italian side of Valcamonica. Or uh, we have some of these cave paintings among the Hopi Indians. Hopi, this is an Indian tribe in Arizona, in the United States, there are several of them. Or, as you all know, Natsuka, you know Natsuka, we'll speak about Natsuka later. Natsuka is just plain with these gigantic lines on the ground, but on Natsuka also we have figures. Wait a second, I find out here. You see, ah, that's terrible. I see it here on, on Nazca on the hills. You have some of these gigantic figures with again with rays coming out of their heads. Then we have this figure. When everybody, when, who flies to Nazca over the plain of Nazca, <laughs> you have to fly over this figure. <laughs> Still today, in official archaeologists, they call it El Astronauta, the astronaut. The figure is roughly 30 meters high. One arm is pointing to the sky, the other one to the ground, like a connection between Earth and the beings uh, out there. Then, we have other figures. This one is in Palpa. Palpa is in Peru. Now, this figure is laid out in a way that you have to fly. Practically, at the moment, you see nothing. What is the figure here? You have to fly over it, and then you see it. Or finally, a big cave painting in the Tassili mountain. Tassili is Algeria. Algeria is in the Sahara. This figure, bring the Tassili thing. Bring the next. Yeah. This figure, in originally, is six meter high in a cave wall, six meter high. So the Stone Age painter who made this had to climb up somehow. Now simply, I showed you a few cave paintings around the world. There are thousands of them around the world simply to demonstrate this is not a geographical fact in a certain geographical region. For example, in Europe, forget it. Stone Age people made these things worldwide because worldwide they saw these beings, these so-called flying machines, the Vimanas, etc. Later, when the period of uh, cave painting was over, our Stone Age people learned to model, to chisel, and they started to chisel and to show their figures. This is Tulum, <coughs> Tulum. Tulum is a city in Mexico on the Caribbean Sea, and the whole city of Tulum is dedic- dedicated to the descending gods. You see somebody, <coughs> his legs spread up here. He's, uh, uh, he has wings, his arms down, uh, light, light. Uh, some someone lying on a bobsled and, and coming down from his cabin. This is a drawing. The original looks like this. Of course, the original is a little destroyed. The same thing with the next one. That's old Tulum. So again, the wings, his head, his legs, he even has shoes on, you see here? In originally, it looks like this. You still see the shoes here. The wings. This, like the cave paintings, goes on all over the world. Soon as our ancestors learned to chisel, to make models, they showed the gods. This is one of the many figures in the Central Museum of Guatemala City. Or another one far away from Guatemala, this is in Chapin. These figures were holy it's about 800 years B.C. It was still Stone Age in Japan. They were holiday chiseled. It. They were standing on altars. They are called Dogu figures. But even the Japanese people in, in antiquity knew nothing about glasses. So what did they model, the Dogu figures? This one really comes down from the sky. You find the original in Villa Hermosa. Villa Hermosa is Mexi- Mexico, Mexico. This figure really comes down, flies down. You see, if you look closely, he has a helmet on. If we take a modern interpretation, he has even a microphone on his lips. His hands are looking towards, bending towards the earth, the legs (coughs) up. He's descending to us, to the humans. One of the best explanations I always have to show, at least optically, is still Palenque. You know, Palenque is in Mexico. In Mexico, uh, in, in the city of Palenque are many of these pyramids. That pyramid is called the Temple of Inscription. Because up there, they found 800 inscriptions. That's why they call it the Temple of Inscription. <coughs> now, inside, and that was found in 1952, Professor Dr. Ruth Slodier, inside, <coughs> up here, he found a little groove. And then they pushed out a stone plate and inside they found a staircase going down. But in 1952, this was completely filled, filled with stone. It took three years before the staircase was empty so that they could go down there. Finally, they stood before a a door which had the form of a triangle. That was seen for the first time. They opened the door very roughly. They destroyed part of the door, you can see it here. Of course, there was no grid at that time. That's only made today today, uh, for protections uh, for tourists. So they entered into a room. And the room was covered with a gigantic stone slab. I say gigantic. This thing is three meter eighty long, three meter eighty long, two meter twenty large. One block, one simple block of one stone, weighting roughly about eight tons. The room itself under the pyramid is nine meters long, four meters large, and seven meters high. Now, here you clearly see a man sitting on a sort of chair. He's bending forward, almost like a a racing motorcyclist. (coughs) He uses his hands to manipulate some control. You see the upper hand? You see his fingers and the knob here? The lower hand, you see four fingers. He's winding something up. He's sitting on a chair in a sort of capsule. All this around here is a sort of capsule. And outside, at the end of the capsule, you see something like a linking flange coming out there. This was my interpretation since Chariots of the Gods, since 50 years. Of course, I was immediately accused by the academic community. They said, this is all rubbish. This is all nonsense. This stone simply represents Pakal. Pakal was the second last ruler of the city of Palenque. And they absolutely agree, agree, it is Pakal. They said Pakal is seated on the open mouth of an earth monster, what I call something like a capsule. Here, they call the open mouth of an earth monster. Then the archeologists see some sort of tree of life or cross of life. They see a stylized bird. That should be the, the cross of life here. a Or his head. They simply see the stylized hairs of the beard of the weather guard. Get it? Now, in our times, four years ago, the most uh, advanced archaeologists in Maya archaeology are two Professor David and George Stewart from the University of Texas in Austin. They are the best trans- <coughs> translators of Maya writings. And they have come up now with the newest explanation for this. On the third tablet of the Temple of Inscription, Stewart and Stewart found a date in connection with that man, Pakal. The date shows the year. 1,247,654 years back in time. Another date says, Pakal will return to our planet, planet in 4,000 years in the future. I am accused of falsification because I should not look at the picture crosswise. Not this way, I should look at it lengthwise. So like this here. Now, as you know, I'm a man with fantasies, and if I have to look at it lengthwise, this brings me to a connection to the Far East. I show you in the Far East a temple, the temple of Borobudur. Borobudur itself, the temple, represents a gigantic stupa. And on the terrace of the temple are hundreds of smaller stupas. These things who look for us like a bell are called stupa in Buddhism. The stupa has different meanings. One of them says the stupa is the smaller vehicle in which one can reach the bigger vehicle of the gods in the firmament. You remember we had vimanas in ancient Indians. The vimanas are the smaller vehicles with which you reach the bigger, the cities in space. We have the smaller vehicle called by Ezekiel, the splendorous of the highest. We have the smaller vehicle in, in old Egypt, the flying sun disk, et cetera. So this is a smaller vehicle with which you could reach the bigger vehicle in the sky. And that brings me to my fantasy. In there, these, these stupas are not empty. In every stupa, the young Buddha is sitting. What is he doing? He's sitting there, he, he uses his hands. Symbolically, to manipulate some controls. And now look what I made out of it. (coughs) Palenque, Stupa. It was all the same worldwide. All modern explanations, they make sense. It's not nonsense. We just have to have the courage to look at these things with modern eyes, and the nonsense of yesterday makes sense. Until yesterday, we made all our translations in a psychological, religious meaning, because we think we have to understand it that way. It has to do with God, with the Almighty. It had nothing to do with God, with the Almighty. It had to do with extraterrestrials, with space habitats out there. With smaller vehicles, etc. So we have to learn. It's a process of changing the spirit of time. In Germany, we call it der Zeitgeist. The spirit of time has to change. The meaning today is different, and the meaning today makes sense. Now, just to end this short chapter, there is one point which makes me completely furious. Uh, <coughs> Natska, Natska is a a plane 500 kilometers south of Lima, the capital of Peru. It's all desert. When you fly over Nazca, first you see nothing. It's all just desert with little red stones and brown sand. When you fly a little higher, you see some figures showing out of the desert, figures of fishes, monkeys, spiders, fishes, but of such over-dimensional size that you can see them only from the air. Then you fly higher again, and of a sudden you see gigantic lines looking like airstrips. I never said in none of my books that this is an airport. I said seen from the air, it gives you the imagination, it looks like airstrip, it starts abruptly, it ends abruptly. The biggest of these lines is 3.8 kilometers long. Then, so we have the figures, we have the lines, airstrip looking lines, and then we have small lines. Very small lines, I mean about one meter large, But the last, the longest of it, is 23 kilometers long. Going over hills, lands, and mountains 23 kilometers. So what nerves me, practically every two years on television I see so-called documentaries about Nazca. Serious people, mostly scientists, archeologists, They are crossing over the plain of Nazca with their shoes. They are scratching away the surface of these uh, red stones. And then a bright shining surface appears, which is absolutely normal. They have nothing against it. And by doing so, you can make these lines, you can make these figures. Why not? But they never say or show the truth. I will show you now a few pictures of Nazca, which you never saw in any TV documentary. For the scientists, they do not exist. What all have I been reading the past years about Nazca? It was suggested in the scientific textbook that Nazca was an astronomical calendar. The next one said, no, it is a cult for the water gods. Another said, it is a cult for the mountain gods. It is a cult for agriculture. My goodness, agriculture, there was never agriculture here. It's all too dry. One suggested it is a pre-Inca sport place. Something like a, a pre-Inca Olympics. Other said it's all just Fata Morgana. Or a start place, place for hot air balloons. One said, no, these are acre plots. Forget it. Boundary markers. Processing streets. Maps. Mach du be da. Look at this picture carefully. This, by the way, is the normal road. That thing is not working here. It's the normal road here, the so-called Panamericana. Now you see these lines. Now you see some lines under these lines. If this would have been produced by scratching away with the shoes, the, the, the little stones, then you would have scratched away the lines under it also. They simply tell us scientific rubbish, which is a shame over here. You see, many lines from different sides come together to one point. We have no idea why, what all this is. Take this picture into your brain for eternity because you never see it. Neither in scientific books nor in the so-called scientific documentaries on TV. This is Nazca, original Nazca. I have 5,000 pictures of it in my archive. I was flying over Nazca for, for three weeks every early morning and every evening when the sunlight was still there. Now this here, look, they demonstrate to you in the documentation, you just scratch away with your shoes the little stones, until you make the designs. Now you see that line, and you see under the line, under the line here, you see zigzags. They simply show through the through the large line here. If this here this would be the product of crushing away, then you would have crushed away the zigzag lines under it also. That's something completely different than what the scientific community believes. But no modern tests with modern equipment measurements have ever been made because they think it's nonsense anyhow. And what do they never say? This here. Is laid out on a mountain here the whole top of the mountain is cut off this is a normal mountain the mountain comes from both sides to the top of the mountain this not here here the top of the mountain has been cut off and you see the zigzag lines beneath it but you never see these things on television what kind of science is this that's what I ask myself now We have a problem with extraterrestrials. As Pope said before, we have no proof. We don't want extraterrestrials. Why do we have a problem? (coughs) It's because of our education. Generally spoken, there are two types of humans on this planet. One sort of humans is religious. It doesn't matter what sort of religion. The other sort of humans are scientific. The religious group have been told that God made everything. He made the universe, the stars, the plants, the trees, the animals, but as crown of creation, God made us humans. In a scientific community, we know that's all just evolution, evolution, mutation, selection, but we are the top of evolution. Have you, ladies and gentlemen, ever remarked that in both cases, religiously, crown of creation, scientifically, top, of evolution, in both cases, we are the greatest. Something like humans does not exist anymore. We have a psychological problem. We don't want to have extraterrestrials. If we accept they, their existence, we are not the greatest anymore. That's what we have to change. And we are full in the process of changing. The spirit of time will change. You know, every normal human wants to be reasonable. He wants to be serious. Normally, a scientist or a journalist is a reasonable and serious personality. And they are not liars, as sometimes it's told in in conspiracy uh, talks, no. The journalists and the scientists I know are brilliant men, but they want to be serious. But UFOs or things like this seems to them to be not serious. They want to be reasonable, not to be ridiculed. But UFO things seems to them to be not serious, not not understandable. That's why don't they talk about it. And they never appear in big newspapers. That in big newspapers you speak about the possibility of life out there, but you never speak about these kind of things. That seems to be not serious, unreasonable. That's what my work is with 83 years. I try to help a little, little, little to change this spirit of time so that what seems to be not reasonable becomes slowly reasonable. And then we have a new world and a new understanding what we are in relation to the universe.
1: Common people around the world are doing the uncommon. I mean, it is literally the Netflix of spirituality. (laughs) I'm <laughs> you are about to learn is almost never described publicly this is a very special weekend please give it up for mr eric
0: von danigan eric thank you are the thank you for your introduction perfect okay so uh, Okay, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I'm from Switzerland. Uh, My English is not the best. I still have a heavy German accent, but I hope you will understand me. So, it's a long, long time ago. No one knows how long, but at least 6,000 years. And then a gigantic spaceship surrounded our planet. How do we know this? We know it first from old Indian texts. There are many, many old Indian texts which are at least 6,000 years old. And there, in the fifth book of the Mahabharata, with the name Mausala Purva, there you can read that of a sudden, three cities, they call it cities, not spaceships, because they had no word for spaceships. Three cities surrounded our planet Earth. The people were watching these cities in the firmament, they were talking about them. And of a sudden, from these three cities, smaller vehicles descended to our planet. The old Indians called these smaller vehicles vimanas. There were different types of vimanas, not only one shape. It's like today, we have different types of aircrafts A helicopter doesn't look the same thing like as a Jumbo jet, or a propellant aircraft is not the same thing as a jet airliner. So there were different types of bimanas. Now, and out of these smaller vehicles, we would call them today space shuttle. All of a sudden, so-called gods came out. So-called gods. We all know that there are no gods. There is only one god. But our ancestors in Stone Age people, they could not understand what was going on, so they believed that these visitors are some gods. The word gods is a misunderstanding. They were never gods. They simply called the extraterrestrial gods. So these so-called gods came out. They looked around the planet, and they chose a few of the young men to teach them. One of the young men, his name was Arjuna, and Arjuna was brought up up to the sky. He learned the language of the extraterrestrials. They teached him in writing, and later they brought him back to the planet Earth. And here, of course, the people asked him, Arjuna, where have you been? What have you seen? And Arjuna was writing down his experiences with the so-called gods. He said, he was up there in this city over the planet and as higher he came he saw a lot a lot of smaller cities up there some of them were composed that they looked like different bulls one bull next to the other bull that's what the eyewitness Archuna said six thousand years ago he himself was brought up with an object called the Vimana as I said before the Vimana's were a smaller object Arjuna even knows the name of his pilot who brought him up there. His pilot's name was Matali. They brought him up there. He saw gigantic cities. He called them cities because in his time he had no word for spaceship, neither for mother spaceship. He was taught up there. He learned the language of these extraterrestrials. And then he realized that the but these extraterrestrials, they had fights, discrepancies among them each other or other. Or Some of these extraterrestrials, they wanted to have sex with humans on the planet. Others didn't say, no, that's forbidden, we cannot do this. Some of them want to steal our raw material. Others said, no, we are not allowed to do this. So there was a fight in heaven, a war in heaven. Described by Arjuna in the fifth book of the Mahabharata in the Mausala Purva, two of these cities were destroyed and from the earthlings it looks as if ten thousand of little stones are falling down from the sky. Now when we hear such a story, six thousand years old, our first reaction is, this is all fantasy, that's all dreams. A war in the sky, a war in heaven, that's rubbish. They simply had dreams, but it's not the dream. The funny thing is, Every mythology, every great mythology starts with Greek mythology,